Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. Well, that was eye-opening. I can guarantee that uh, Engler Brack didn't know any of those details about Odral's landfall in Albion. I guess uh, being sprayed in the blood and guts of your men, shouted at by a giant, and running off back to the sea with your tail between your legs is probably something you'd want to omit from your log book. Ach, to be true... Anyway, let's get on to Odral's second voyage. Actually, up round your neck of the woods, Heinrich, in the old uh, Sea of Claws. Oh, yeah. Now that is more like it. <laughs> Indeed. Although, there was controversy here too, as Engler explained to me all those 30 years ago. Noon, the entries in the Acta Nautica Exordralis for the second voyage of Odral are far longer and more detailed than those of his journey to Albion for uh, some reason. In fact, they begin with his preparations. With the loss of his first ship, the Iron Shield, in the harbour of Marienburg itself, Adalbert the Younger, Odral's mentor in the cult of Manan, managed to procure a second ship for Odral, called the Iron Crown, an even sturdier vessel than the first. Och, nowhere to crow of the cock there, Septimus. Yes, go on. What is it, Master Alchemist? Och, well, the cult of Manon. Well, this uh, Adalbert the Younger in particular seemed to be pouring a lot of resources into Odral's ventures without much in recompense. What's the crack there, then? Ah, now, I should have expected such a perceptive question from you, my dear Cedric. To answer it, well, yes, indeed. Odral was creating a valuable resource with all of the maps and navigational observations that he was making, but... Were such things worth two whole boats, their crews, supplies, and the like? The answer is twofold. No, in the short term, but yes, in the long. However, what tipped the scales here is perhaps not immediately apparent, but if you dig a little deeper, you'll soon discover that there were in fact two Separate things motivating Adalbert to bend over backwards to facilitate his protégé's adventures. Firstly, he had managed to persuade some very influential leaders of Marienburg's mercantile families, almost all of whom were members of the cult and involved in shipbuilding, to invest heavily in Odral's voyages in return for copies of the maps he made. 
This offset many of the cult's overheads and would give these families a marked advantage over their competitors in future generations. The second reason was love. Many said that Adalbert loved the young orphan like a doting father and could not help but indulge the whims of his adopted charge. That said, there were also rumours that the uh, love between the two priests was somewhat more um, personal, let's say, um, as in between two consenting adults. Ooh, now that sounds more intriguing. Indeed. Both are heartwarming in their own ways, I suppose. But uh, let's leave the rumour mill and return to our story. It was Mitafrul, and with his mentor at his side, Odral offered up a lamb to Manan to calm the seas for their voyage. Adalbert then took over, laying his blessings both on the boat as well as the voyage itself. Manan seemed to answer his pleas, and a soothing, calm, gentle spring rain began to fall all over the ship, filling everyone it fell upon with a sense of peace and hope. And, as the rain petered out, an enormous albatross came to rest upon the crow's nest. The portents were clear, and within an hour Odral had hauled anchor and set off, even though it is usually considered bad luck to set off on the day of start growth itself. After clearing the Reich Delta, this time Odral sailed east rather than west, as he did on his first voyage. This took him along the northern coastline of the Empire, a route well known and detailed in the sketch maps of a number of other travellers from earlier periods, but an area that had yet to feel the touch of a master cartographer. Purposefully and methodically, Odral stopped at every settlement that dotted the coast of Nordland, meticulously drawing maps of the coastline and cataloguing the types, populations, and other salient details of all the places he visited. During my time following in his footsteps, I too visited each of these places. Some had prospered, some had withered, and some had vanished without a trace. I made notes on each. As I mentioned earlier, in many of these uh, seaside enclaves, Odral founded small chapels, grottos, and hermitages, and it was chronicling the fate of these that formed the bulk of the documentation that I submitted to the cult. From talking to locals, I also learned that where it had been impossible to uh, build a place of worship to Manan, be that due to resources or objections from some quarter, Odral had blessed the local initiates, and these stories have been preserved orally. I, too, chronicled these tales. 
I dare say that the impression that Odra made during this time has led to the vast majority of coastal settlements on the Sea of Claws claiming to have been visited by Odral during his second voyage. These are perhaps not erroneous claims, in my humble opinion. A particularly famous tale from this period is told by the bards of the militant order, the Sons of Manan, based near what is now the town of Salkalten, in Ostland, although it was little more than a hamlet back in the 10th century. After spending some time in Solkalten, Oldral found himself standing atop the nearby cliffs that overlook the roiling Sea of Claws. As he watched the power of Manan churn up the sea, he suddenly spotted a fishing boat struggling against the gigantic waves that crashed this way and that. Oldral did not dally. He ran back to the hamlet roused the villagers, and led them to come to the aid of the beleaguered fishermen. The response was rapid. Many of these doughty, brave men and women clambered over the rocks nearest the boat with ropes and rafts, which they lashed to the wooden boys already bobbing up and down out in the sea. These provided a lifeline to any who fell overboard, Many other fishermen launched their own boats from the beaches and rowed out into the royal in order to rescue their comrades. It was a dangerous rescue, but all in all, all hands were saved, though Manan still took the unworthy boat. Following this incident and under Odral's diligent gaze, a watchtower was built and dedicated to Manan, providing a means of gifting his mercy for those caught by his wrath. This came to be known as Odral's Watch and was initially manned by volunteers from Salkalton, much like during the first fateful rescue if a vessel was seen to be in trouble, the watchmen would set out in their rowing boats to aid the beleaguered seamen. They saved many lives in this way, and even when they could not, they would at least bear witness to the deaths of their fellow mariners. From these humble beginnings, the remit of the watchmen slowly changed in the coming centuries, and came to encompass more than simply the dangers posed by rock and wave. The new group named themselves the Sons of Manan, becoming a militant order that acted to guard the coastline of Ostland from raiders, wreckers, and sea monsters, in addition to rescuing those in need. Thus did Odral continue along the coast, sailing all the way to the most easterly border of Osland, where the Empire met the wild lands of the Gospodars. Although now, I suppose, we need to get used to calling that part of the world Kislev, after the conquests of the shaman priestess Miska and her clans. You know, the ones that came all the way into the East Marches, up to the edge of the Forest of Shadows. A march that was only halted 
by the might of the armies of the Empire. Thankfully, her daughter, Queen Shoika, is a little less ambitious than her mother and focuses on uh, consolidating power within her own borders rather than taking us on in the Empire. No, oh, anyway, sorry. Back to Engler, eh? Noon, what was I saying? Ah, yes. Upon reaching the lands of the Gospodars, and here too meeting and blessing fellow followers of Manan, men and women who would eventually be instrumental in establishing a shrine, a wooden structure, spanning the river Erskoy, Odral turned north, and thus began the second leg of his voyage. Oh, what was this shrine like? Why, why, it was most unusual. This shrine of Manan straddles the river, and it is decorated with all sorts of holy maritime symbols. Crashing waves, ancient ships, demigods, tridents, and sacred monsters from the deep. I remember it distinctly, that, uh, well, at its centre hung a five-tined crown that all huffers in that part of the world would reach up to and touch as they pass beneath it. It is said to invoke the protection of Manan. Um, but uh, that was all on a separate journey of mine, up the river Talabek, a mere five years ago. Noon, after going as far east as we could along the coast of the Sea of Claws, we turned back, unlike Odoral. And, although I did not wish to, I'm glad I did. For in doing so, I met the love of my life.